0: Welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name is Nancy. And this is episode 10, I guess. It's the last, it's the 10th movie from both of our lists, 10th set of movies from the both of our uh, lists from the Facebook challenge. We are pretty excited about this one. Thank you again for listening the whole time that, uh, if you've caught all 10 episodes, and if you haven't, They're available on iTunes and Podbean and Google whatever and anywhere you can check out a podcast. Go check out our old episodes because we'll probably refer to them every once in a while. Mm -hmm. This week we're going to talk about a couple movies. They came out in different decades. Mm -hmm. They kind of deal with different points in the lives of the characters, but still kind of on the younger side. My movie is 1994's Clerks. And Nancy's movie is... I don't remember what year it came out. 86. 86. 1986. Mm-hmm. Where were you in 1986? I was 9. Nice. I was not 9. <laughs> I was younger than 9. <laughs> but uh, her movie is great movie. Uh, Pretty in Pink. Yeah. And, um, again, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Um, I apologize if I sound a little strange this week or at this episode. I... Um, had like the worst allergy attack ever today it's been this year's been rough it's been a rough it's been a rough year with me and my nose
1: (laughs) me and my sinuses
0: have have had challenges this year so i appreciate it
1: you may already be hearing some commentary from podcat Mulder here he's um nice and comfortable on the top of a chair not far from a microphone
0: i want to give a shout out to to podcat over here, he's been really good, but a fun thing. If anyone wants to uh, see any pictures of him, send us a message. <laughs> we'll send you. You can see him randomly within our, our Facebook feed. Again, we are excited to do this one, and it's not our last one. just want to emphasize that. It's not our last one for a couple reasons. One, we love movies, and we want to continue doing, talking about movies. Uh, Two, this podcast has been a really fun thing for the two of us to do. Oh, I'm sorry. Three of us.
1: Mm -hmm. You guys don't understand. He circles around us for at least an hour before we start recording. He gets he knows he knows he he
0: sees the studio equipment and, you know, it 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 just excites him. Yeah. Um, But and then lastly, let me see movies.
1: Well, we're also going to start introducing some guests in some upcoming episodes. We're going to not be not just talk about movies that Matt and I have enjoyed, but movies that people who are near and dear to us have also enjoyed over the years. And, and we'll be bringing people on. Gonna, and, and we got to, you know, we got to keep it fresh. We got to yeah. challenge
0: ourselves. We got to do some new stuff. I yeah. mean, so stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. But lastly, I mean, come on. have You guys haven't seen the episode with John Cusack and Joan Cusack yet. I mean, we got to we, we got to keep working on that. <laughs> So until until that happens, you're gonna have to put up with us. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to um, pass the mic on to Nancy to uh, talk about Pretty in Pink. I think of the John Hughes movies. This this is a this is a good one.
1: Pretty in Pink. So we watched all the John Hughes movies growing up. You know, Molly Ringwald is was pretty much. His main star for at least three of the movies, uh, Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, and and, uh, Pretty in Pink. Um, John Hughes also kind of helped get the brat pack of actors established. Um, They showed up in a lot of his movies, and then there were a few movies outside of the John Hughes group of films, like St. Elmo's Fire in particular, where you'll see a lot of the members of the Brat Pack, a lot of uh, Breakfast Club crossover into St. Elmo's Fire. But we're talking about Pretty in Pink today. And some people may think, well, why would I pick Pretty in Pink instead of maybe Breakfast Club or maybe Ferris Bueller or Sixteen Candles? What made Pretty in Pink my choice? I think the issues in Pretty in Pink at the time... Stood out the most to me in terms of Andy, the Molly Ringwald character, really feeling, you know, feeling very secure in who she was as a person, but very clearly felt like an outsider all the time. I can't really tell from the movie just how obvious, like, you know, she's from the wrong side of the tracks. The school seemed to have probably a... I mean, it was a pretty diverse school, but there was an impression because she has to sit down with the principal at one point that maybe she was allowed to attend the school for some special program or something like there was no ob- like if if you were just looking at like district lines, maybe she wouldn't have been able to go to this high school. But
0: I think it was just kind of how the lines are drawn.
1: Yeah, it she she never felt like she never appeared to fit in in high school. And this is her senior year of high school. And. You know the movie starts and here she kind of has this crush, kind of a long distance crush on Andrew McCarthy's character, Blaine. But it seems like he's spotting her first. Like he's kind of noticing her first and he but he's a rich guy. So the idea of him, you know, either wanting to talk to her or ask her out or heaven forbid even ask her to go to the prom, you know, just seems so unrealistic. Um, There's another rich guy that is a huge character, and I'm just going to say right now, I feel like the supporting characters in this movie are even stronger than the lead characters in a lot of ways. You've got James Spader who maybe plays the biggest asshole that I've ever seen in a John Hughes film. I mean, bigger than even, like, Judd Nelson's character in Breakfast Club. He just, he's this rich...
0: Bigger than the principal.
1: (laughs) There's just some... He's just so nasty to her. He... You can tell, like, he's had an interest in Andy in some way or another for years, and she just was never into him. As she, you know, tells him one time when he's kind of stalking her at her car... You know, get off... She's like, get off my car. He's like, why couldn't... You, why, you know, every girl in the school wants a piece of me. Why didn't you? And he's, she's like, um, I got some taste. And then
0: he calls her a bitch.
1: He calls her a bitch as he's, you know, smoke... You know, pulls a cigarette out of his, you know, pack of cigarettes. Which, of course, this is another hallmark of 80s John Hughes movies. Like, every kid is smoking and you just don't see that anymore.
0: And every kid looks like they're 28 years old. Well, there's that too.
1: <laughs> but, you know, so he's, he's this real, real asshole character who just makes her feel small he makes blaine feel like an idiot for having any kind of interest in her and creates a lot of conflict in the movie and then of course he has a real nasty girlfriend who is also kind of terrorizing molly ringwald's character so just these kind of just these kind of issues of molly ringwald's character always feeling like she's an outcast or being judged or not measuring up to these expectations of these rich classmates, something about that really kind of struck a chord with me growing up. Again, I was like in fourth grade or something when I saw this movie. And, you know, she's presented as this really cool girl, like even though, you know, financially she's very, you know, she's not well off at all she's she and her dad are, are barely getting by I think she's really cool though you know she is very into fashion she sews a lot of her clothes she's really creative and I think um, the fact that she sews her clothes also was a real draw for me I thought that was really cool but you know here she's you know trying to deal with this adversity she has at this school luckily she does have, like, her best buddy, this guy named Ducky, played by John Cryer, who is probably most people's favorite character in this movie. Most definitely. Yeah, he's yours, right?
0: He, him, and there's... There, I th- I would agree that some of the um, supporting cast really stands out more, and John Cryer is probably the one that stands out the lo- the loudest.
1: Yeah, and Annie Potts, too. She's amazing. Yeah. But... John Cryer's character Ducky has just complete devotion to Andy but she just doesn't see it like she just doesn't think of him that way and we're watching him throughout the movie have this struggle about oh my god I love this woman I gotta tell her love
0: is real <laughs> ah, real you. is
1: love thank you thank you um, But, you know, he's, he's telling other people his feelings. Like he goes up to her, he like comes by and talks to her dad and like tells her dad that he wants to marry her and take care of her. And, you know, the dad's like, does she even know how you feel? But, you know, so he's, he's always this very reliable, dependable sidekick that she has. And, you know, they, there's a scene where she's come home from work and he's left her what? 10 phone messages, something like that. Like every, every five minutes he's calling her. So, you know. A bit of codependency. But, you know, he's very, very devoted to her. He really loves her. Um, But, again, they're friends. They don't have that kind of relationship.
0: There's a brief um, scene after the two of them have a falling out where you see him in his room. Mm -hmm. And it's this very kind of depressing room. It's like... A couple pictures he has on the wall. There's some spray paint on the wall. It's a mattress on the floor. There's no other furniture. He's just, like, flicking cards into his hat, yeah. listening to the Smiths. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's um,
1: Very you, much like the scene where Billy Crystal in When Harry Met Sally is flicking cards into a hat from across the room when he was nothing,
0: impressed. Nothing like that scene. Nothing Anyway, like that scene. But, um, uh, but it gives you a really good idea. Like, he kind of feels like all he has is... This relationship, this friendship with um, Andy.
1: Yeah. So she's trying to, like, make her way, like, finish high school. And she has this friendship with him. But then she's sort of being pursued in this kind of strange stalkery way by Blaine, which is very exciting for her. I mean, the thing that's so weird about the relationship between Blaine and Andy through this whole movie is you never get the sense that they've ever really talked to each other. So it's like... They just have this weird high school kind of curiosity from across the quad or across the tracks, across the tracks. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing (laughs) there's no real reason other than just, you know, opposites attract or something that is drawing them together because they don't they it doesn't seem like they have classes together. Like there's no I don't know. There's no real force pulling them together other than just kind of longing looks at each other like. From the hallway and the lockers and
0: well, I mean they 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 do a couple things. Like he goes and visits, comes to her work to try and talk to her, which is I think kind of a high school thing. Oh to yeah, do.
1: absolutely. And then
0: um, and she a-
1: works at a record store called Tracks, which again, watching this in the mid eighties seemed like one of the coolest things ever.
0: Well, I got to tell you, it is one of the coolest things ever because it's based on. The record store Wax Tracks that oh. was is an actual record store in Chicago oh, where for the record label Wax Tracks that put out ministry. So it's automatically cool. There you go. There you go.
1: You know, Andy, again, she's very confident in who she is. I mean, she knows that she doesn't come from money. She knows that she's not going to measure up in a lot of people's eyes. But she is. She's, she's not apologizing for who she is. And again, she's really trying to kind of make her way. And again, not I, I can't emphasize enough this unapologetic force that she has about, you know, she's just not going to back down. She's not going to change to make someone else happy. As she says, if someone doesn't believe in me, I can't believe in them. I think you know, I think that was a really strong message to hear at that age. She she's very good friends with Annie Potts character that they work together at tracks. I think Annie Potts was probably about fifteen years older than her in you know, when the movie was made.
0: It's funny because when we were watching this, we were trying to figure out like what her age would be because she talks about doing like getting dressed and partying in the sixties and then she has like a very sixties kind of and almost fifties but sixties style Prom dress. So I think she's like 20 years older than her. So
1: she could have been like 34 or 35, maybe 36 or something, I guess. Sure. But watching this movie this weekend, I had to kind of pause and be like, okay, so why did I like this movie as much as I did as a kid? Not because it's a bad movie by any stretch. I really do still like it. But I think the love story with Blaine and Andy is actually really shallow and it's incredibly shallow. It's really shallow. And I don't think I ever saw it that way as a kid. I think I saw their kind of longing for each other across the hallways. And clearly the um the adversity they were both feeling because her friends were upset that she was dating him and his friends were mad at him. Like all that kind of like Romeo and Juliet, like kind of struggle to keep them apart. I think that seems so romantic as a kid, but now it's kind of like eh. Well.
0: I eh. I I remember watching this as a kid, uh, way younger than you were watching the mm-hmm. kid. I, I I made I made I said way like she's Nancy's ten years older than me, which she's. Not. I'm
1: like two years older than him, but that's, <laughs> that's fine.
0: That's a lot when I'm seven yeah, or I'm six nine. or seven, yeah. and you're nine. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, I was always confused, like as, as a kid, I was always confused by the relationship because. It always seemed like why was she even pursuing this guy? Like she's when got clearly, when clearly was Ducky guy. is yeah. like all all up in her face and you know, would would get, try and give her everything and And he's so funny. Well and he's likable in a lot of ways. And he just is I mean, he's he's younger than her. You, you think know, by much though? Maybe a year. Okay. He might, maybe he's like, I mean, so maybe she kind of sees it as like a puppy dog, like little crush maybe. kind of thing. But, um, like it, when the movie is over, you're kind of like, what the fuck just happened? Seriously. Well, yeah.
1: Okay. So here's her. Let's just skip to the end. You know, we're going to be like in a uh, princess. Prom. I mean, we don't, we don't need, end. we
0: don't need to go watch this movie. We don't need to tell you the yeah, whole story. It's, it's
1: just Blaine eventually does ask Andy to the prom. Which is like this really high, like, oh, my God, it's so great. It's so sweet. But then guess what? He totally ghosts her for a while. And then she has to confront him in a hallway, make a big scene and yell and scream at him in between classes. Andrew McCarthy, you know, ends up crying a little bit, but she super cries and then like runs down the hallway.
0: He gives her he he, previous to this, he has some confrontation with asshole James Spader and it makes him start re- rethinking his whole, kind of like, why am I dating dating her? And then he comes up with some excuse of, he asked some other girl and he forgot.
1: Yeah, I mean, t- like these are just some of the most mm-hmm. painful experiences a teenager can experience. And I'll tell you, seeing this movie at the age of nine, I think this movie impressed upon me just how goddamn important a going to a high school prom was. I mean, I even w- knew... At that young age, if I was to ever go to my prom, which I did, I went my senior year. I think Matt, you went to your senior year prom, right?
0: Nope.
1: You went to your junior year.
0: Nope.
1: You went to one. Of, you went to someone else's. I
0: went to a prom after I graduated right. with a girl I was seeing.
1: But you did go to a prom at some point.
0: I did, but I never had. I the the uh, watching this and I'm sitting here going, who the fuck gives a shit about this damn dance? Well, but that is me.
1: Well, <laughs> and the intense importance that was put upon going to this thing watching Andy's character be stoic and holding it all together, even after he dumped her and, you know, you know, backed out on their date. And she, you know, goes to Annie Potts and is, you know, a total mess, but, you know, wants to have her old prom dress so that she can now make her beautiful pretty and pink dress You know, I watched that and I was like, oh my God, like, I always liked sewing. I was like, I think I'm gonna wanna sew my prom dress, which, in fact, my mom and I did. There was just something about this movie that just imprinted on me this is gonna be part of your high school experience. Hopefully, not all the struggle of the liking someone from the, that's like so different from you and all that stuff, but there was just a piece of prom is really important, just like how some. Girls grow up thinking having a princess fairy tale wedding is the most important thing you're going to ever do in your whole life. Like the wedding day itself is so important versus uh, who you're going to marry. And like the whole marriage after the wedding, you know, this whole importance of the prom. So watching it again, because I'll I'll tell you, I hadn't seen this movie at least in 10, 15, probably 15 years, really? maybe even longer Really? Yeah, it's not one that I have like in rotation. I mean, when Harry Met Sally is the one I watch all the time, but Pretty in Pink is just not one that I was putting on. I mean, I've probably seen Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles more off more recently than
0: those are played more on television, so it's a lot easier to see those. Yeah. Pretty in so, Pink isn't played as much. So
1: the the impact that this movie had on me as a kid and what it kind of the course it set me on for what I was to expect high school to be like. I see it more clearly now, like just how important I thought prom was going to be or whatnot. A couple of other fun highlights in this movie, you know, Harry, Harry Dean Stanton plays her dad and he's so good. Her mom had left them three years before the movie starts and her dad just still isn't getting over it. So he's, he's a mess. Um, He's not working full time and, you know, kind of help, you know, kind of keeping them in their, financial bind and she's working hard to try to encourage him to get it together and that's tough
0: harry dean stanton of fame of he was in a repo man which is eh. hadn't seen it for before watched it recently and i understand why it's c- kind of a cult classic but he's really good at it yeah and he's also a yeah. good friend of david lynch Well, he was. He passed away.
1: (laughs) Um, Again, I, I mentioned James Spader already. He was amazing. He's such a jerk. He's so good in it, though. The actress who plays her best friend, I just saw this, died before the movie even came out. That's super sad. That sucks. But Annie Potts is wonderful as her friend, and you know, John is so good. John Cryer has one of the most iconic scenes in all of the John Hughes films. And it's when Andy is waiting at tracks with Annie Potts for Blaine to show up for their date, and her friend, Annie Potts, her character's name is Iona, she decides to play Otis Redding, um, try a little tenderness, because the neighbor in the store next door really likes it. And all of a sudden, John Cryer slides into the store and does this amazing lip sync and dance to try a little it's maybe the best part of the whole movie.
0: Interesting personal side note to that. One of the first times I ever did karaoke, I did that song and it was pretty much inspired by the fact that he did that that. performance.
1: I love that.
0: It, It is one of the I mean, every scene with ducky in this movie is pretty much a good scene whether it's when he and Andy have kind of a falling out or it's when he's having um random conversations with Andrew Dice Clay because Andrew Dice Clay is the bouncer at the bar they go to because apparently that you can get into bars when you're 18 but he's not 18 so he can't get in
1: yeah or a nightclub I think it was more like it's a a nightclub
0: yeah but they have booze there
1: yeah No, you know, John Cryer is a scene stealer in this, in this entire, and of course, what happens, she goes to the prom by herself, and who does she see at the top of the staircase? Ducky in this amazing blue sports coat, and he just looks great, he's got these sunglasses on, and the two of them go in together, and it's like, okay, you know, it's like you can kind of like exhale a little bit, like, she's fine, he's fine.
0: And then you wish the credits would roll, because that, you kind of feel like that's how it should be, but the credits don't roll.
1: So... Interesting fact. So this movie came out, and then a year later, a different movie came out, which was basically a redo.
0: It's basically the same movie, but with the roles reversed gender-wise.
1: And that movie's called Some Kind of Wonderful. And that movie, which is also amazing. I love that movie.
0: Also a John Hughes movie.
1: Also a John Hughes movie. Eric Stoltz and Leah Thompson... But and there's a few other people. There's like the, oh. a super jerky dude in this movie no, too. No,
0: and his best friend is um,
1: Mary Stuart. Masterson. Mary Stuart
0: Masterson, yes.
1: That movie, it's almost like everyone who wants Ducky and Andy to end up together, they fix it. They fix it in some kind of wonderful. And again, you know these movies. I don't know if there's a modern day equivalent. Of someone who's making movies for such like a specific teenage audience anymore. Like if there's like one director that's equivalent to like who the who the current John Hughes is, but you I just know, think
0: a lot of people these days are looking at those movies and being inspired by them, and yeah. they don't make a series of them. They just make like their one or two movies yeah. and of. Uh, I mean, there's there's definitely uh, some movies that have that same kind of vein. You know, they're trying to be you know, the, 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 follow the template that John Hughes yeah. uses teenage movies. I mean, because he did movies later that were not teenage movies like Uncle Buck, mm-hmm. Planes, Trains, Uncle and Automobiles. Uncle Buck, which is great. I, I'm still amazed that he's responsible for Home Alone, which is a very different kind of comedy. Yeah. yeah, I think that he definitely had kind of put a voice to where teenagers were being represented in film.
1: His movies created a space for conversations that were deeper to kind of happen like it wasn't they got to get into the issues of being stressed about what their you know what being in school was like what their futures what their futures were gonna be like the fact that maybe if not everybody came from money, you know how hard that would be, and be, feeling like an outcast and how do you navigate through high school feeling like an outcast and but still even if you know you're an outcast you're still secure in who you are and not apologizing for who you are i mean i think again rewatching this movie and remembering that i got swept up in the romance of andy and blaine but now thinking like huh why it kind of tarnished the, the mem- my memory of this movie a little bit but i still appreciate it and like it's it keeps its place for why this movie was so important to me growing up. Also another reason this movie is so important to me is because so much of the soundtrack I I love so much. It's got If You Leave, Pretty in Pink by the psychedelic furs. It's got so much New Order. There's like three or four New Order songs on this soundtrack. It's just that that type of music and that came out right in the mid-80s is very much my wheelhouse. Like it's stuff I still listen to today. The fact that it's all in one place is really awesome for me
0: one thing that um, I don't know you didn't really touch on it too much is the whole idea of how Andy sews her all of her clothes love it she makes pretty much everything she wears and it's either she alters something or she makes it from scratch or whatnot and she so like the fashion that in it really kind of stands out you know there's a scene where She's giving Ducky a ride home, and they, they, she decides to drive through the rich neighborhood, and she just, like, parks in front of a house, and she always, she's just, like, looking at the house, and he's like, why the hell are we here? And she's saying, God, what do you think people are doing in there? <laughs> and she's, like, fa- like fantasizing about yeah. this life, and then she's just like, do you even think like the people that live there appreciate the house that yeah. they have and everything? So she's kind of—I kind of feel like—you know, you talked about the shallowness mm-hmm. of the relationship— And there is kind of a part of Andy who is very – because of like she's into clothes and how she represents herself. And even though that's like an empowering thing for her, it's also like – it's still not an internal thing. It's an external thing of showing how she is. And, and, you know, being with someone with money or having – having security (laughs) you know stuff like that i mean it definitely kind of shows like she is longing for something like there are some and and so she talks about you know at one point she's having a conversation with her dad about trying to go to school and you know she's trying to get a scholarship for either a fashion school or some sort of design school or something like that and um, how is she going to afford going going because you know she works and her dad can't hold down a job and what's that all going to be like and You know, it it sounds like and it kind of appears like, you know, there's this very kind of shallowness to to the relationship she might have or maybe some of the things that she wants. But she really kind of sees like I'm in this position. My mom left. I'm trying to take care of my dad, but I need I have I have aspirations for a future. How do I get there? And it's not like she wants to get with the rich guy to accomplish that. She doesn't need that. She, But it shows how how empowering she is. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, even though it might sound like it's something shallow, she's just going for what she wants. She doesn't want a relationship with Ducky. Yeah. As much as we, as a viewer, we want that to happen because yeah. it just seems like the most romantic thing ever, it's not what she wants. And she probably doesn't even want this whole kind of like, Like you were saying, like dream wedding kind of kind of fantasy. She wants to do what she wants. And I think that that is actually a pretty positive message. And she's a pretty positive figure Mm -hmm. in this movie, even though she looks 25. But (laughs) (laughs) so I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like she's like a bad person. No, no, no. She's just it's just the, the but I would agree like the relationship is not. They don't de- I think the problem is is they do not develop the relationship. Like, you know what this movie could have used? A montage of them dating, like going yeah. on multiple dates. Well,
1: I mean, the majority of the conversation they had, especially on the one date that we see them go to where he drags her to a party at Steph's uh. house, at the house that she and Ducky were looking at, a majority of their conversation was about no, I don't know if I want to go to that party. No, it's your friends. No, I don't want you to take me home. What you don't understand cuz I don't want you to see where I live. They're not having just normal conversation like, "Oh, who's your favorite band?" "Oh, what kind of food do you like?" I mean, they're not having any kind of They don't even state. they barely
0: hold hands. They barely <laughs>
1: hold hands. You know, I mean, again, there's there's a few like romantic make out scenes where you know they kiss in front of the headlights of their of the car the first scene and then you know like they're making out in the stables and then at the very end you know in the parking lot and whatever, but it's like what do these two people have in common? It's like they're going to prom and then they're gonna graduate and are they ever gonna to talk to each other again? He's well, gonna probably go to some fancy college. She's gonna hopefully go to a fashion institute somewhere. They're never gonna remember each other. Well and <laughs> it, 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 not to be such a cynic. No, but, but you
0: bring you bring up a really good point though. I mean We
1: don't know why these two have any interest in each other whatsoever. Well, you bring up a good point though.
0: I mean maybe it's really just about it being like High school relationship. Yeah. I mean, problem's the end of the year. I mean, if they're about to grad, I mean, if they're about to graduate, this could be like one and done. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I mean, they're not talking having babies like Ducky is. I mean, Ducky's like, I want to have her kids and everything. Yeah. So that's just that kind of grasps onto that very romanticized idea of you know what relationship should be and blah blah yeah. blah blah. I think that that's what makes this movie kind of interesting is it doesn't really go that way but it doesn't outwardly talk about it either i mean you don't hear her say man i really want to go to fashion school and i want to get out of this dump and i want to you know i i'd hate to leave my dad but i gotta get start a new life she never talks like a that. Lot
1: of that stuff is more implied i mean especially like when she has a conversation with the principal after she and the oh one i guess one thing we didn't really talk about is just how bullied she gets by these really nasty rich girls this happens at least in what two or three scenes yeah you know, it's just and that that is just tough to watch. I mean, it's it's still hard, you know, even all these years later to watch someone in high school or younger getting picked on and bullied just for being themselves. It just ugh, can't stand it. Yeah. But um, no, I mean, kids yeah. are assholes. kids are assholes especially teenagers but yeah she's she's not explicitly having these conversations about what she wants to do with her future but she clearly does want to do something more than what she currently is living because she works so hard in school she does get such good grades she can get a scholarship i mean they talk about those things she's just we just don't hear about this is the long-term plan for you know for whatever but what we're seeing is she really wants to go to prom. She's hoping to get asked to prom. And, oh, hey, Blaine asked her and this, you know, she's like lit up. I mean, ugh. Yeah, yeah, it's... Well, I think
0: the other thing, and, and I'm glad you brought it up earlier, is um, if if you watch this movie and then you, if you want a, a nice kind of parallel con- to contrast to is some kind of wonderful oh, yeah. because... Watch in them that, back to back. Watch them back to back because in that one, yes, the gender roles are reversed, but... You can also kind of see like the social socialization that's happening. Whereas like in this movie, they don't really talk about her future, but in some kind of wonderful, it's he's saving up money to, go to for college. to go to college, and then he blows it to to impress a girl who's from the from yeah. the other side of the tracks. Well,
1: actually, the girl he's impressing, she's they're all on the same side of the tracks. It's just the the girl she the boyfriend that she was dating. That's true. rich guy.
0: Yeah, that's true. But so, either, he th- either, so he thinks that that's what she wants. Either it turns way, Some, out it's not what she some wants.
1: Kind of Wonderful is also a phenomenal movie. And I think, again, it's, it is interesting to watch Pretty in Pink and Some Kind of Wonderful kind of back-to-back. I mean, Pretty in Pink, I believe, was the last John Hughes movie that Molly Ringwald was in. She'd already been in two before, so this was kind of like you know, the Triple Crown movie for her. And it, it she really was the full focus. I mean, Sixteen Candles, yes, she's the main character. But that cast was so much bigger, and there was so much more silliness and great things with Sixteen Candles where Molly Ringwald's character isn't in almost every single scene like she pretty much is in Most of Pretty and Pink. So this was kind of like her showcase movie.
0: True, yeah. I mean, she had she did that movie and, and that was her like her first big role, yeah. and she was only like sixteen when she did it. Then she she does Breakfast, Breakfast Club, which is definitely a, an ensemble kind of yeah. piece, and then she does this, which is definitely her mm-hmm. the, the the movie that she, is driven by her, and she's great in all those movies. Yeah, and, I mean she
1: she was uh, <laughs> important actress for that time frame. Again, these movies were really important to us growing up, so.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I think that um, all the um, the teen John Hughes movies were great.
1: But one place we know for, for certain that Andy was not going to end up working when she finished high school and probably wasn't going to keep working at Tracks, she wasn't going to end up working at a quick stop.
0: No. She was not going to end up working at a quick stop. So I think that's Nancy. She's pointing at me. She's literally <laughs> pointing at me like, OK, time to segue over. She's she is done. She doesn't want to talk about this, this shallow relationship or anything. OK, so we're going to start talking about Clerks. Clerks, the 1994 first movie by acclaimed writer, director and actor Kevin Smith. The movie tells the story of a day in the life of convenience store clerk Dante and video store clerk Randall. Now, I love this movie. I do, too. And I related to it a lot when I first saw it. I was a junior in high school and I saw it on cable um, and it was edited. So I rented it on VHS. That's a VHS is what you put in a VCR, for those of you <laughs> who don't know what that is. So I could see it unedited. And I relate to it in a few different ways. Some other than the fact that the cat in the movie looks like Podcat.
1: Almost exactly. Almost
0: identical to Podcat. First, I'd like to mention um, on our last episode, I mentioned that I'm not really into dick and fart jokes, but that's more the case now. When I first saw this movie, you know, I was in high school and I was definitely up for a dirty joke because I was like 16 and immature. This movie's full of them from discussing uh, hermaphrodites in the, form, in, in the form of a porn with chicks with dicks <laughs> to the janitor at the nudie booth referred to as the jizz mopper. Yeah. Um, probably the best and most frequently quoted joke is when Dante um, and his girlfriend are discussing their past, uh, their sexual history, and she reveals to him that she has gone down on 37 different guys, <laughs> including him, including him. This freaks out Dante and he repeatedly keeps saying to her 37 you suck 37 dicks like repeatedly and it just it just carries this joke on for a little while. And um, my probably one of my favorite lines in the movie is like she is just like so pissed off at him he's he's like you know he slept with 12 different girls and he's like but that's different you sucked all their dicks and um he's she's leaving in a rage and she walks out of the convenience store and he yells at her hey don't suck any dick on your way through the parking (laughs) lot and there's a guy standing like against the wall and he goes to follow her and he's like hey you come back here (laughs) yeah i mean uh, stuff like that so yeah this movie's pretty vulgar it's um Got a lot of sexual humor um, And as a You know a 16 year old kid in high school You know I was Obviously gravitated towards that I mean I grew up in the time When uh, Beavis and Butthead mm-hmm. Was huge on television oh, yeah. And in re- reruns Constantly on MTV And kind of low brow but Who cares it's funny um,
1: It's what 22 year old Guys would be talking about
0: Yeah so um, I'm not So I'm going to kind of—we kind of have a tendency sometimes on this podcast to basically describe an entire movie, but I'm not going to do that this time because I basically want you to go see it. The entire movie shows how Dante is basically unhappy with his life but doesn't make much effort to change it. He has an excuse for every bad thing that has ever happened to him, whether it's his job, his love life, or his personal well-being, and nothing is his fault. Whereas Randall, the video store clerk— He's very comfortable with his life to an extent where he's okay being where he is, but has no problem criticizing every customer he meets. Mm-hmm. He just feels... has a sense of elitism.
1: Not a lot of superiority.
0: Yeah. Again, how do I relate to this? Um, I've never been a clerk at a, at a convenience store, but I've done some customer service. And I get the frustration that Randall has as a clerk. But as a 16-year-old in high school, I probably related to his critical thinking more, like how he would analyze a situation you know and how you know he'd be confronted with people and how he just have this narrow point of view of why he is better than them
1: <laughs> well he's he was he's not afraid of confrontation he's not yet, afraid so of confrontation so, and he, he incites it a oh yeah time
0: but, you know, for me, you know, he does not give a crap. I didn't have to go through a lot of struggle by the time I was 16. You yeah. know, I've, I had a pretty fairly comfortable lifestyle without, you know, s- still feeling the same kind of um, self-consciousness that a lot of teenagers have. Not to the point where I felt like I was one with them, maybe. So maybe I kind of had maybe not a superiority complex, but somewhat where I would just shit on everything that was around me at some point sometimes so i guess i kind of connected to randall a little bit as i got older and watched this movie you know with kind of a better self worth and self-image and a perspective of the world that was broadened i realized the best message of this movie really kind of comes in the third act
1: is that one is that before after they talked about empire versus Return of the Jedi.
0: No, that's, that's, that's pretty early on, which is an excellent scene, but (laughs) I don't want to spoil it for all of our listeners. Okay. In the third act, Randall confronts Dante about his inability to change things with his life. And he explains to him that what they do as clerks, isn't some amazing world changing job. And he even says it's a monkey's job that they push buttons. You know, it's not like they're doing anything really extreme.
1: They're not curing cancer.
0: They're not curing cancer. I say that all the time. I say that all the time. Uh, you know, I mean, God forbid we could just do that. That would be amazing. Mm. If he's unhappy with his life, he needs to shit or get off the pot and change it. Yeah. The speech Randall gives Dante um, is actually a great life lesson. And I took that to heart, you know, in the middle of all the dick and blowjob jokes. <laughs> so um, and, and I understand, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, other people have a lot. Bigger obstacles to deal with. I am a straight white male, so I have pretty much everything going for me in my life, you know, as far as our society is concerned. I don't have a lot of the other a lot of the other struggles that um, other people have. But 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 still to to
1: note. Dante and Randall are both also straight white males. Oh,
0: exactly. No, totally. And, and
1: so are a majority of the characters in this movie. There's only like two or three women yeah. that show up in yeah. the movie. But all there's the characters...
0: There's definitely not a good minority representation no, in this movie not whatsoever. at all. But yeah, people have obstacles. But if you're unhappy, it's within your power to change it. You know, it might be harder to do it for others. But really, if we are unhappy with our lives, we shouldn't just sit back and let... People roll, you know, steamroll us. No, nope. let life steamroll us. You know, get, you know, quit your job, break up with your significant other, stop being friends with toxic people. Yeah, you I, know, you don't have to live life being unhappy. You can do something about it.
1: I think what's really cool about this movie in particular, aside from just the incredibly low budget that it was produced on, it takes place in the day of the life of these clerks. It's just this
0: one day in the life. And, you know, they put a lot into it. They put a lot of different kinds of perspectives on a lot of different topics, anything from something as serious as shitting or getting off the pot and, you know, taking control of your life to, you know, whether um, it was within the, the right of all the independent contractors who are building the second death star, you know, (laughs) whether they should or shouldn't, you know, be, responsible for making the decision to do that
1: (laughs) personal politics plays plays a part of all decisions
0: you know i could go on about this movie i could probably do a whole podcast about this movie just breaking everything down but i'm gonna stop standing on my soapbox about you know you know about it as nancy mentioned this movie is you know a low budget shot in black and white you know, movie, you could probably make a movie that is higher quality, you know, visually in this than this movie on your iPhone, Mm -hmm. you know, easily. It doesn't have any stars or known Mm -hmm. actors. But um, it's not until later in their careers that two key figures that premiered in this movie got acclaim um, in other Kevin Smith films. And that's Jay and Silent Mm -hmm. Bob, who are they're drug dealers who Stand outside the video store and the and the the quick stop, and kind of add comic relief in between cutscenes oh, yeah. and stuff. From they do things from like random dance numbers, you know, that you're not really expecting to <laughs> torturing Randall and Dante. And it's kind of nice when you have these little cut scenes with them, you know, and, and again, this is a great source of just crass, dirty humor. Oh, yeah, It's nice hearing this between all the whining and complaining Dante does about his life. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I watched this movie at a pretty, you know, at a fairly young and, um, impressionable age when it came out. And I'm so glad that I got to see this movie, when I did, because a, I appreciated the dick and fart jokes a lot more than <laughs> it really kind of gave me a sense like of, from a creative standpoint, like if you have a story to tell, I mean, it's not a super high end movie. I mean, there's a lot of characters who are repeated by the same actors, just so mm-hmm. you could keep it low budget and, yeah. uh, or under budget. And, you know, I think he, Kevin Smith filmed a lot of it, and you know, on film that he then had to struggle to get processed and editing it, and putting the putting this movie together ended up being kind of a labor of love for him. And of the Kevin Smith, you know, of all the Kevin Smith films, a lot of people probably gravitate towards Mallrats. It's got a higher budget, it's got more known actors, or uh, maybe Chasing Amy. It's got Ben Affleck, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, it's more popular, but.
1: Chasing Amy's a love story, too.
0: Yeah, it's a love story. (laughs) Well, this, in in its own way, is a love story. Maybe it's a love story between Dante and Randall. Maybe it's a love story between him and all the other girls in it. But anyway, I just really enjoyed seeing this at a young age. I mean, the whole point of us doing this podcast was to talk about movies we grew up watching. And this is one that i remember quoting i mean you could just say 37 and know what you were talking about or um a number of different lines and it's just a it was a movie that i really kind of grew up watching and as i watch it as i get older i relate to it differently i mean the the two main characters are 22 Mm i'm way older than that now and they made a sequel to this movie which i I won't even watch it um Give it a watch, but it's, it's like a, it's like the mall, like the mall version of the first movie. I mean, mm. they're clerks again, they've got a it it's got a, a love story kind of thing going on. Yeah. It's, it's just, eh, I'm not, yeah. I kind of wish they just left it alone, but yeah. whatever. Well, but, I, uh, I, I wanted to, I just wanted to ask you, Nancy, um, what are your favorite scenes? Because I'm sure your favorite scenes are Caitlin having sex with a dead guy <laughs> or uh, Randall ordering all the porn videos oh from the distribution house. <laughs> I mean, though, that that those scenes seem right up your alley. Oh,
1: my God. Um, <laughs> well, I one style thing about this movie that I really like is the title cards in like every every like five to ten. About every six to seven minutes, there's a title Maybe card that introduces the next scene. And it's just like a one word. Like one
0: of them's like purgatory. Yeah, purgatory.
1: belaise, <laughs> I think, was yeah, one. You yeah. know, I just, I you know, rewatching those, that was really clever. Well, I just want to say that I don't know if I would have seen this movie had you not been such... To- like had you not been such a fan of this movie, I certainly watched this movie because you told me like, "Oh my God, Nancy, you got to see this movie. This movie's so funny." I'm You're sure. Like,
0: okay. I'm sure I put it on and you were like, "What the hell is this?" And no, but I,
1: it. I always liked this movie. I, I saw, I recognized just how freaking funny this movie was from the very beginning, and, you know, Dante like Matt said, is such a fricking whiner, but he also, he just caves, you know, he's so afraid of conflict that he'll do what people ask him to do. Even if it's something that's really frustrating for him. I mean the whole movie he's quote, he says, I'm not even supposed to be here. Yeah, the The
0: movie starts off with him getting a phone call. You don't even see his face. He's just answering the phone and his boss is asking him to come to work on his day off and he promises him he'll work until noon and because he uh dante has a a hockey game and he's not even supposed to be at work that day so he he begrudgingly comes in he gets to work the someone puts gum in the locks for the shutters so the windows have to be closed the whole day he makes a sign to tell everybody he's open with shoe polish so everyone comments about how he smells like shoe polish every day (laughs) or all day um you know and he and yeah some really random shitty things happen to him but some guy starts starts a an angry mob that people <laughs> about cigarette smoking and people are start throwing cigarettes at him and he gets a you know and randall doesn't help randall like gets him into gets him into trouble as well at one point Dante's not covering the counter and randall isn't paying attention and sells cigarettes to a to a little kid and Dante gets the fine for it. I mean, this, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff, the, but the whole
1: day is full of weird stuff. But I think what's interesting about this movie is I think it's supposed to show this is what a typical day could be like. I mean, obviously this is an exaggerated day, but all of these weird random things could happen in the day of the life of someone who works at a convenience store. I'm
0: pretty sure maybe one would happen a day. Like the <laughs> Not guy checking all. the eggs. Yeah, I'm or sure the milkmaids. I'm sure not all of that stuff happens in the same day. Yeah. But um just to kind of illustrate, you know, the trials and tribulations of being a convenience store clerk or a yeah. video store clerk. I mean, when there's at one point they're comparing like Randall and Dante are comparing run-ins with typical customers you know like and the dumb questions they get like what do you
1: mean there's no ice for you expect me to drink this coffee (laughs) hot
0: yeah or uh what would you get for a six-year-old boy who who constantly wets himself you know what kind of you know stuff like that or and the the person who says hey do you have any new movies and they're standing in front of a rack that says new movies stuff like that And, and anyway having to See all of that in one day is probably an exaggeration, but it's a movie, so yeah. I mean, obviously, he's not he's not going to give us a week in the life; it's a day in the life. So,
1: no, it's 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 interesting because I mean, I think at twenty two, you're you're such this pivotal age where you need to start really participating in your life. You know, you need to. You know, Veronica is his girlfriend who sucks thirty seven dicks. She's going to thirty seven. 37 in a row in a row. Um, (laughs) She's going to college. In fact, she even says that she transferred to a school closer so that she could hopefully encourage him to go back to school. She's apparently nagging him about going back to college all the time.
0: Starting his life,
1: getting out of, getting
0: out of the uh, the store. Exactly.
1: And you know, this other plot with Dante is that this ex-girlfriend he had, all through high school.
0: Who cheated on him eight times. Yeah,
1: made his life miserable. I mean, Randall even at one point says, you know, you hurt him again I will kill you.
0: But he's obsessed with her.
1: He He's obsessed with her. She's always this, like, Dante is the perfect, like, the grass is always greener on the other side kind of person. Like... Could never find contentment in his own life because there's always something to bitch about. and as you know, as we said from the very beginning of the movie, when he gets the phone call and he's like, I'm not even supposed to be here today. He says that I don't know like thirty five times through the movie. He says it a lot. And you know, Randall's kind of snap out of it kind of speech to him, I think is really important. Another important speech is when Kevin Smith's character, Silent Bob chooses to actually talk to you know give some give some love life advice well
0: this is well what happens is is you know veronica dante's current girlfriend really tries to take care of him she's you know she moved like nancy said she moved closer she what she brought him lunch Mm -hmm. she makes him a lasagna and brings him lunch You know, she really has. She breaks
1: up the angry mob in the beginning of the movie. Yeah,
0: I mean, she really (laughs) has cares for him, Mm -hmm. even though he, you know, gave her a bunch of shit. The girl he's pining over has strung him along for years. I mean, constantly cheats on him, is away at school. Um, He finds out that she might be getting married. It turns out that it's wrong. She comes back and tries to hook up with him because they think that he, you know, the two of them think that they can work it out, which seems ridiculous. You know, he kind of. Really kind of decides like, you know, what I think I'm just going to break up with Veronica and try this out with Kate, you know, with Caitlin. And then something happens with Caitlin yeah. that um, you just have to see to believe. Yes. And
1: I really hope that wasn't based on a real story.
0: God, I hope not. Although it might have been. Who knows? Who knows? Anything can happen when the lights aren't on. Oh, my God. <laughs> but any so and at one point, Jay and, and Silent Bob, it's near the end of the movie, go to like buy some stuff and. Jay's talking to him. He's like, "Hey, you want to go to this party with us?" He's like, "No, I can't." And Jay's like, "Come on, there'll be girls there." And he's like, "No, I'm trying to get back with my with uh, my my ex girlfriend." He's like, "Well, why, why would you want? Why would you want to do that?" This other girl came over here. She does nice things for you. She she comes over. She brings you lunch. She you know does all these nice things for you. And he's like, "I don't know." And then you know he walks out. And Silent Bob is like, "You know." There's a lot of beautiful women in this world, but not all of them bring you lasagna. lasagna. Most of them just cheat on you. Yeah. And at that point, Dante's like, holy fucking shit. I I love Veronica. I mean, she's great. Why the hell am I trying to screw this all up and go with this bitch that used to cheat on me all the time? What the hell? Yeah. And um, it was a good wake up call for him. And of course, while this is all going on, Veronica was coming to see him. You know, when he gets off his off of work and she runs into Randall and Randall tells her all about why he's going to dump her and get back with Caitlin. And then she flips out. She comes and sees Dante beats the shit out of him, leaves him there, makes him feel like garbage. And then that's when they have their big Randall and Dante have their big. Their big fight, and
1: which includes beating each other with like candy, candy, and I think it was like a oh, loaf of bread or something. A loaf of bread, yeah, <laughs> a baguette.
0: And Randall gives him the speech about you know, shitting or get off the pot, and they make up with each other and hug and kiss, and then, uh, not really, but then. The movie pretty much ends, and Dante has pretty much decided he's going to go check on Caitlin, make sure she's okay, and then go and try and pass things up with Veronica. And then we don't know what happens. The movie ends, and Clerks 2 touches on none of that. So Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's not even really a continuation. Uh, it's like a whole other movie of them being Clerks. But they're still clerks.
1: Randall and Dante.
0: Yes. Right. But they're at a fast food joint instead. No thanks. So but uh, no,
1: no clerk clerks is amazing. I mean, I think because, because it was Kevin Smith's first film, it's, it's got a real raw energy to it. It's just, it's so good.
0: And he had, and, and you know, he has from this movie on, you know, has just kind of grown from like a, a fun cult popularity. He has one, if not more podcasts that he does, mm. he does comedy tours. He writes comic books. He does all the stuff he's in, in, he's got a he's very well rounded. I highly recommend, you know, you check out Clerks and then give Mallrats a, a try and then go down the line.
1: Yeah, then watch Chasing Amy, especially if you're in the mood for like a romance.
0: True. So yeah, check it out. So, I guess that's it. 10 down.
1: 10 down. 20 mo- I guess 18 movies covered.
0: It's been pretty fun.
1: It's been a really great experience.
0: I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. I have enjoyed doing it. Me too. Yeah fun banter. And um there's a lot of different things that we have kind of come up with a few ideas of things that we want to do. We're going to do some more f- f- podcasts in this format where we're going to pick some movies. Um I've got we both have ones up, you know, that we've thought of be- since uh, starting this that we want to talk about that uh hopefully you will enjoy. Got to start having some special guests, some friends of the podcast come mm-hmm. on and talk about movies with them. You know, I hope you all enjoy it. Um, there's something that we need to... Um, Nancy had mentioned uh, some John Hughes movies. You know, it would be remiss for us to not mention that... Um, one of those that she mentioned, uh, Sixteen Candles, the first um, movie that uh, starred Molly Ringwald in, in, I guess, her trilogy of John Hughes movies. Um, there's this one actor who um, has this really interesting small part... Um, where he is friends he and his brother are friends with um Anthony Michael Hall um who's only referred to in that movie as the geek yeah like he doesn't even have a name um but uh, this actor um is a very young John Cusack
1: his sister is also in this movie
0: his sister is also in this movie and she has braces yes and it's, and it's, she has like these very awkward, like neck brace, yeah. like satellite dish looking sets of braces. John kind of plays one of the, one of the friends who challenges Anthony Michael Hall's character to, um, get, God, what was her name in that movie? God, I want to say it was almost like Andy or something too. Can't remember what it was. Anyway, challenges Molly Ringwald's character to get, or is challenged to get Molly Ringwald's underwear. So. Sam. Sam, yeah, it was
1: Baker. another unisex unisex
0: name. name.
1: Claire from Breakfast Club, not a unisex name.
0: No, no, yeah. John Cusack and John Cusack were in that movie together. Yep. Interesting. Wouldn't it be great if we could talk to them about that? It'd be amazing. I mean, we're a brother and sister, and they're a brother and sister. That's right. We should do that. If anyone out there knows how to get in touch with them, let us know. Love to talk about them.
1: I also want to throw out to our listeners since we are at the end of our Facebook challenge list of movies, even though we do have some of our own ideas, if you guys have any suggestions for movies that you think would be fun for us to try to tackle, please feel free to comment on our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook It'd be really interesting to maybe take on the challenge of movies that our listeners may want us to, to watch for the first time and discuss.
0: Why do we care about what other people want us to talk about? Just kidding. We like movies. We'll talk about anything. <laughs> anyway, well, again, follow us on Facebook, Twitter. I've been trying to do some, like, little questionnaires about uh, some of the movies that we might be talking about, and it's been kind of fun mm-hmm. also hearing your opinions. Um, We'll do this again someday.
1: Yep. Stay tuned for more episodes, and, again, thank you guys so much for listening.
0: Talk to you later.